Guys, it kind of feels like, it smells like, I don't know, it seems like this is a revolution. And you are listening to All Elite Aotearoa, the most elite podcast all about All Elite Wrestling in all of Aotearoa, New Zealand. There was some very good programming on AEW this week and not too much drama. There is one big story we'll go over very, very soon. But thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this week's edition. So we are another week down on the path to Full Gear 2021. Not a lot actually seemed to happen this week in terms of just generally news in AEW. I think, um, I mean, it'd be hard to top what last week with all the, or the last couple of weeks, all the going back and forth between WWE and AEW and all the, the ratings chat. So it's actually been kind of nice just to have it a bit of a, a, bit of a breather. I, I mean, I say that. Twitter has been an absolute um, dumpster fire of ratings chat. Uh, people getting into some fairly serious arguments about what counts in terms of numbers, whether it's it is total audience or whether it is the demo. Um, sort of, it, it's kind of fascinating because, frankly, no one's going to convince anyone of anything otherwise. You're not going to convince me that AEW didn't win what was most important last week, and likewise. If you're a SmackDown viewer, a big WWE fan, I'm sure that there's nothing an AEW fan can say to convince you uh, that they were victorious. So it doesn't particularly matter. I mean, I just, I know I've been a big uh, fan of the sort of ratings chat and kind of been enjoying it, but this week was kind of a bit ugly in terms of uh, seeing how much some people can really fix their identity to these things. And... Um, Perhaps, as the kids say, you need to get out and touch some grass. But never mind. I mean, if that's that's all it has, at least it hasn't been too much chaos. I, th- I think the the big story that's just popped up in the last sort of uh, 36, 48 hours or so has, of course, been all the discussion around Charlotte Flair, um, some things happening on SmackDown. Uh, you want if, if you're not familiar with all this, you, d- you don't live in a bloody bubble. Um, congratulations. I'm proud of you. Uh, you're better than I am. Um you're wondering why I'm talking about Charlotte Flair, WWE superstar on an AEW podcast. Well, of course, she is engaged to Andrade El Idolo, but more significantly, they had this um, segment the other night on SmackDown. Um, obviously, I don't watch SmackDown, but I've seen clips of this online where my understanding is that uh, she's been drafted from SmackDown to Raw. And Becky Lynch has been drafted from Raw to SmackDown or vice versa. Doesn't particularly matter. But they're both the champions of their respected shows. And for uh, for some reason, WWE thought the best way to um, to deal with this would be to just have them literally swap belts, which is um, pretty unimaginative and uh, was kind of rightfully pilloried on the internet as far as I could tell uh, all week. Um, leading up to it or in the days leading up to it time is just a bit of a blur at the moment um 
And so they had this awful, 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 awful segment. It was really awkward and strange and apparently was uh, led into a backstage altercation that apparently allegedly led to Charlotte Flair being let out um, by security and then her fiancé tweeting after his match had just headlined a pretty good episode of Rampage, actually, uh, F-U-W-W-E. Um, obviously, if you know all that, sorry to, to recap that for you. I just... Um, Thought it was important to give a bit of context because what what's sort of been happening since then is people have been asking well would people like to see her in AEW apparently her contract um is up at the end of the year perhaps I th- like I mean all this stuff I read is this is all dirt sheet stuff so I'd even know how much to sort of take uh everything I think has to be taken with a grain of salt if you will um and there's there's always of course a lot of a lot of people writing with vested interests but I thought it was an interesting hypothetical question regardless because I never even thought of Charlotte Flair as being part of AEW I always thought she would be a, a WWE lifer um, someone was asking online today and I had to think and I was like you know what yeah I would really I would love to see her just sort of with a few, a few provisos I know I said in the first episode of this show that I haven't I stopped watching WWE in 2014 and but I, no I think about that's it, not entirely true of course because I have seen since then um like I went to a live taping of SmackDown actually in 2015 when I was studying at the University of Texas for a semester. Um, I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to miss, you know, a live WWE show um, just for the for the child in me. And so, you know, I watched a bit in the lead up to that and afterwards to sort of familiarize myself. I've watched a couple of WrestleManias, Royal Rumbles and that kind of thing. Um, not for a little while, but, you know, I have obviously seen her in action is where I'm going with this. And I always thought she was very impressive. Um very talented performer and so I I mean if they could snare someone of that talent yeah I, I think it would be really cool to have her in AEW it's it's just a matter of if she, again it's you get all this gossip and it says she's quite difficult to work with or has been quite difficult to work with and but then you're sort of like well how much of that is the fact that um her fiance was fired and I mean her father was fired as well. I don't want Ric Flair to be honest with you in AW. I think that man is just too much uh, baggage, and I don't think there's anything he can offer in this day and age. And I don't think it's a good thing to validate um, basically a sexual predator, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm not just talking about Dark Side of the Ring. I'm just talking about the stuff that Ric Flair has talked about <laughs> across his life. So, um, but yeah, it's an interesting hypothetical exercise. Uh, uh, you, you never know. I mean, we'd, I wouldn't have thought you'd see CM Punk or Brian Danielson in AEW if you'd asked me even eight months ago that question. So who knows? It's It certainly seems to be um, something that people are talking about a lot. I'd love to know what you guys think about it, particularly if you do watch WWE as well, because you would obviously have better insights into how she's um, sort of rank, ranks as a performer at the moment and things like that if... if um, she still is as good as she seemed to be when she was younger or perhaps um, she's, I don't know, the, the, the gloss has worn off a bit. Yeah, so anyway, I think that wraps up the news for now. I've noticed the shows of the past couple of weeks have been far too long. Um, so if any of you actually managed to stick through to the end of the past couple of shows where they were up over 90 minutes, uh, thank you. But um, I I honestly wouldn't expect you to because that's me getting far too self-indulgent. So we'll move things along hopefully a bit more rapidly today.
Okay, so we're starting with Rampage. Rampage was not live this week, unfortunately. It was obviously recorded in the sessions from last week in Miami. And it seems like they've had a bit of a chance to do some mixing of the audio levels, I think, because the crowd sounded a lot better this time around. I'm not sure if that was just um, post-production or whether it was perhaps the order of the matches and the crowd was a bit hotter and maybe some of the stuff last week they were a bit worn out. No idea, but it seemed like... It was a bit of crowd all around, so it actually just felt like a better show. And the other thing was, it was a pretty good show. I The first match we have is Orange Cassidy versus Will Hobbs, and that's the first round of the World Championship um, tournament, the first, the first brackets. This was the weak part of the show, frankly. Um, I'm not... I really like Orange Cassidy, really like Will Hobbs. Not a huge fan of Orange Cassidy against big guys like Will Hobbs, so I find it... Like their first match that they were alluding to is kind of ridiculous. The one where they had a, um, it was a dark match. It was a squash match basically to Orange Cassidy. I find I really don't like the orange punch and same with Roman Reigns. I never liked the Superman punch. I think a punch is a really, unless you're the big show, the punch is a very, very unimaginative and lazy and hard to suspend disbelief finishing maneuver, especially when you're the size of Orange Cassidy um so I'm glad he didn't win this match like that but yeah I I struggled with this one a bit I thought Hobbs was getting in a lot of offense and he was looking really good and you know in classic sort of wrestling storytelling you sort of know that that's not going to be a good sign um and I say not not a good sign I I, the reason why I say it's not a good sign obviously you might have figured out is because I wanted Hobbs to win I thought Hobbs could really use the the rub of at least getting past the first round here. He's had a couple of losses recently, um, and uh, he's, a, he's a big prospect for AEW. I know they don't necessarily need to pull the trigger on him right this second, but I'm still sort of hoping to see a little bit more positive um, results from him, I suppose. I don't even know how to word it. I just wish you could see him getting a little bit more progress on on that front on television anyway rather than just on the dark shows so yeah the match was wasn't too bad Uh, they did their best I think to tell a story that sort of gave Hobbs the impression of being the stronger one who's a rookie and sort of got distracted and lost the plot and you know picked up the referee and um sort of was so blindsided by his rage that he fell into the uh, mousetrap pinning maneuver by Cassidy. But even that, like I prefer, I definitely prefer him winning it with the mousetrap than the orange punch. But even then I'm still like, "Ah, Hobbs is a big dude. (laughs) It feels like he would just be able to sort of get out of that while asleep. Do you know what I mean? Um, So... Yeah, I again, I sort of had chats with some of you guys online about this and other people online. Uh, will Hobbs will be fine. There's, I'm not worried that this is going to affect him. He's a long-term prospect, and they're going to sort of pull the trigger and push him a little bit further down the line, especially once he's out of Team Taz and going on his own route. It's just that, you know, Orange Cassidy has actually already had title shots, and they've been outstanding, don't get me wrong. That, that triple threat match he had earlier in the year um, at Double or Nothing was one of my favorite matches of the year, frankly. But it's, it's just one of those things where it's kind of like, uh, okay, um, I'm not entirely sure he needed that rub. What was also pointed out to me, though, um, by much smarter people on Twitter than me, is that actually this doesn't matter. 
because ultimately we are probably looking at um, heel Moxley, hopefully, or at least, you know, a really big Moxley, Brian Danielson sort of final. And so this stuff should be well and truly forgotten um, by the end. And I hope I hope that's the case. I hope that the crescendo of this tournament is so good that we sort of forget about this disappointment. Um, but yeah, I think this was the weakest part of the show, frankly. It wasn't it wasn't a very hot start. Ended with a bit of an anti-climax. Um, but luckily, I think the whole show really uh, built up from here. There wasn't, you know, there was an awkward segment after this as well, I found, with um, FDR attacking uh, Penta and Abrix Abrahantes. Alex is such a dork, eh? He's such a dork. I find it so hard to take him seriously that the Lucha Brothers would ever hang out with him because they're pretty cool. And I, I kind of just wish Alex rather than being like this hyperactive little energizer bunny um, who wears a Michael Jackson glove, would just actually be like his broadcasting self. Like he's just um, dressed in a suit and he's just a he's just a very good speaker rather than trying to be <laughs> this badass that is also king of the chess club. I don't, I don't know. Um, now, unfortunately, this turns into a classic dumb baby face sequence as we see a couple of people at ringside wearing the frog masks. So, of course, they have to go down and check out because, you know, really, really dumb baby faces. And then, of course, they get attacked from behind. Um, uh, Alex takes, takes a bit of a hiding. Um, and then, ultimately, long story short, Pat comes out and makes the save which is, you know, good in the sense that they're still making a nod to Death Triangle being a thing. Um, I, I, I'm not sure why, though. I always, Death Triangle is one of those interesting things. I remember, I literally remember the day, the, the, the episode where, where they formed, because I was sitting in an airport in Queenstown um, waiting for my, I almost missed my flight because I was, I was watching Dynamite and I wasn't paying attention. Um, and I being just so confused it was right before COVID-19 kicked off and like literally the first case had landed in New Zealand the weekend before then this was a Thursday afternoon and um so didn't really understand what was going to come but remember thinking boy another faction this is a bit weird another heel faction no less and then the the pandemic almost did it a bit of a blessing because PAC couldn't come back to the US so it just kind of fizzled out and then and but then they seem to have sort of started it again and they're like well okay it made sense because you had the the eddie kingston family thing going and pax coming in to rescue but now pax and another few that we're about to see in about 15 minutes in this show so i was a little bit confused by like it, it, thematically it's consistent but also i'm like does this not isn't pack a little bit distracted with his own thing and is he going to be involved in two feuds what's sort of happening here so um a bit of a confused, sort of inconsistent sort of segment. Not not the end of the world. Not not the best part of what I think has been going on so far with this FTR Lucha Brothers feud. And I'm sure it won't be the best part of what is to come. Anyhow, got a, for a show that I said was good, all I've done really is moan so far. But it, it picks up in positivity because the next next thing we have is Anna Jay and Britt Baker, and I'm I'm a very enthusiastic on this match. I really really enjoyed it um and I was, I was shocked by how much the crowd was into it particularly after I was complaining last week that they were just DOA with the two women's matches that were there were there the Ty Conti and um Santana Garrett match and the Ruby 
um, Ruby Soho and uh, the Bunny match. They were just so on their hands for that one, but they were they were really into this one. And why I think I enjoyed this one so much, and part of it, this is um, probably my own um, prejudice, I suppose, is I I didn't expect much from Anna Jay to be honest. I it's not that I think she's a bad wrestler. It's just she was very she is so young and she's still so new. Um, and she's coming back from injury. And um, I should have expected it, I suppose, because what we've seen, I think, in AEW is we've seen a run of people coming back from injury and they've come back better. Like they've really worked hard at not just recouping from their injury, but from training for the ring. And that's uh, that's what she did. So part of it was I probably had slightly low expectations, which is very disrespectful and I feel very bad about. But ultimately, um, they were blown away. I, th- I thought Anna Jay was outstanding in this match. I, th- I was really impressed. The striking was really, really good. And I think Britt actually uh, gave a surprising amount to her as well, which was which was really cool. I think Britt really um, let her sink in um, the Queenslayer for sort of long periods at a time and sold it well. Um, and she... she I don't know. She just she made Anna Jay look very strong. Um, I thought it was a well told match, and ultimately I was happy with the end. I think, um, I think it's it, it was a perfect result that ultimately Britt Baker won pretty clean because she is the champion. This, this is a thing that I remember um, they were doing in WWE, and apparently this has only got worse. Is you would see the champion lose in non title matches, and ultimately that just is silly because then why are they champion? They should be the best and uh yeah ultimately Anna Jay shouldn't be beating Britt Baker yet but she will and that's even what she said on Twitter afterwards she said I will beat her one day and that's the thing is they might have another four matches and when she beats her it's going to be monumental because she is going to beat her clean and it's going to be spectacular I mean by the time she does both of them will be even better than they are now so that's uh something to really look forward to but uh, yeah I love this I thought this was so good um Better than I enjoyed it much more than the two matches, the two women's matches last week, uh, even the Ruby Soho one. And I, I thought that was a really good match last week. So very happy on that regard. Very happy. And then, of course, we get to the main event, which had so much hype over the week. People online saying that this was who were in the building, saying that this is one of the best matches AEW's ever had. Um, inevitably, that puts a lot of pressure on, doesn't it? Because AEW has had some pretty spectacular matches and it's very hard for a TV match to live up to those expectations, particularly, I think, on Rampage because they basically always have three matches at least. Um, you know, they did the other week where they squeezed in four. Only one was a squash, but still that takes time with entrances and running around commercials and stuff. Um, So really what you're looking at is a solid maybe 15 minutes max with commercial interruption. So was it up to the hype? Yes and no. Um, Look, this was was an awesome match. There's no way. I don't think it was one of the best matches that's been in AEW because of the fact that AEW has had pay-per-views and the pay-per-views tend to be where the real money matches are um or at least stuff that's not interrupted by the format of television was it one of the best television matches that they've had yeah absolutely without doubt without doubt this was this was incredible i mean i love the fact for one thing that it started hot big fan of like you know when this is saying brian alvarez always huffs on about you know and it's it's kind of cliche but 
when when you got two guys that are supposed to really hate each other, it's annoying when it starts slowly. They they came into it firing. Um, just I've made all I've done is basically made notes of spots. The um, I mean, there's really cool stuff striking as to be expected from Pack. He doesn't dick around. Lots of amazing kicks. Spinning dive that um, I don't know what it's actually called that Andrade does. That spinning dive out of the ring that he did in the last match as well. That is insane for a guy of his size. Such a cool move. So unbelievably athletic. I think we probably weigh about the same. Um, difference is, is that he is muscle and I am Pizza Hut um, and Coca-Cola. Um, the idea that someone my size could do that makes me, um, well, it makes me sad about some of the decisions I've made in my life, frankly. The bump to the outside that um, I didn't, I, that's all I put was bump to the outside that uh, that um, Andrade did that was absolutely sick, looked absolutely disgusting and almost looked like a botch. Um, the avalanche brain buster um, that park delivered to andrade I'm, I'm the way i'm seeing this is, is uh, like the, the the big dives that i've got here seem to be coming from andrade which is remarkable when you're when you're, you're fighting pack and a lot of the the notes that i have are about um andrade doing doing the sick stuff because normally if you've got pack in a match he's always as far as i'm concerned the the highlights um and it ended it ended i think in a way that I don't normally like, but I think was tolerable in this case with a with a roll up. So roll ups, it's one of those things again where it's they're not done that often in AEW, so you can sort of accept it. And it seemed like probably in storyline a pretty good way to wrap this up. Here's two guys that have thrown everything at each other. They're both exhausted, and you essentially get this, um, you know, this this tight sort of like lucky escape almost they're so close to each other um that this is really it's just going to take a moment of luck for someone to win it so yeah i thought there was i thought there was a i thought it was a fine ending you know it's not necessarily the way i like to see matches end but AEW have instilled enough good faith in me from not using that finish that often that i'm i was perfectly okay with it and then of course we had this ending segment which was which was interesting lights go out malachi black ends up in the ring and the crowd go mental and I think a lot of us did at home as well because suddenly it felt like we had the potential to see a Malachi Black um, pack and Andrade triple threat somewhere down the line like out of nowhere it was like I hadn't thought that this could be an option and suddenly they've presented it to us and it's like holy moly yes please I want to see this match immediately can you just do it now um, and then we get Arn come down. Oh, I love Arn Anderson. Um, come down and <laughs> give the finger gun, and lock uh, you know lock and load his Glock, and, and pull the trigger. And then it turns out that Cody's actually there, and he attacks. Um, he attacks Malachi, and the crowd is hot for Cody, which is very strange. They're really hot for him, considering um, nobody else seems to be something. Something weird going on in Miami, and so that's a bit of actually like I, I, it was a really cool segment. But it was it was almost like um, they left us the the tease something that's not going to happen or like not going to happen anytime soon. Like they didn't mean to tease us with that idea of a triple threat, but now they've put it in our heads and we're like, no, 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 that would be really cool. Can you can you do that? And instead, of course, on Dynamite we're going to get Malachi Black and Cody Rhodes instead, which people are not particularly 
happy about. But we will talk about that in a few minutes down the line. So yeah, Rampage was a really good show. Um, all in all, I know I, I know I did a bit of moaning at the start. I think moaning is probably easier to be fair than it is to be positive, which is why um, so much of wrestling media and Twitter and podcasts are based around savaging the stuff because it, it it is probably easier to to pick out the things that you don't like. But really, there was um, the way the show was structured that it went from strength to strength to strength. Uh, I think was was really great ended in the best possible way so yeah really really good edition of rampage very happy with it So we go to Dynamite now. Now Dynamite was coming from just up the road from Miami. Well, just up the road in, I suppose, American terms, probably half the length of the country for a lot of us in smaller places. It was coming from the University of Central Florida in Orlando, which is, of course, the home of Walt Disney World and some other tourist destinations that are pretty spectacular, like the Universal Resort out that that way as well but this isn't a travel podcast this is a all elite wrestling podcast damn it and they did a really good show tonight last week i had a lot of complaints about dynamite i thought it was a pretty poor show i thought it was really badly paced um all over the place really inconsistent was not much of a fan i think basically they remedied all of that tonight it's interesting because they have had some I, f- I find they have had a few not many they've had you know about five or six that i can recall uh episodes of dynamites that were real clangers and i'm, I'm like you obviously a lot more forgiving about stuff that happened without crowds in the pandemic especially early on when they were doing that uh bulk filming and it was basically just squash squash matches in his little studio in georgia whatever that you know that's fine. Those are extraordinary circumstances. I think they did incredibly well considering what they had and the limitations they were working around. But if we think of full-strength dynamites, they haven't had that many bad ones, and I can't recall where they've had two bad ones in a row. And this sort of continued that thing where they seem to, um, I don't know, they just seemed to plan it a lot better, and it just seemed to work work a lot better. The timing was a bit more on or something like that. Anyhow, um, we start... I love this. I love that they start with Brian Danielson. I think that that's so cool that they just keep basically doing that. Um, well, not keep doing it, but they've done it a couple of times now. I said, you know, this is where I should do more research before I start this podcast because I say they keep doing that. And I'm like, okay, I can think of two occasions including this. I'm like, wait, did they start that episode with him? Did they start that? No, I'm not actually sure. So if, if I've made that up, please forgive me. Please forgive me. But I love the fact that they've started this episode with him. And I love that he's up against Dustin Rhodes. Now, Obviously, Dustin's inclusion in this bracket was a little bit controversial to people at first. They sort of rolled their eyes a little bit. But again, I think that comes down to what I talked about last week, where they rushed that announcement segment and they didn't give it time for people to sink in. They didn't like they didn't go through it and get people to think about it and process it at a normal speed while the show was on to figure out, oh, okay, no, potentially we can see some very cool matchups here. Um and obviously this, you know, if you, if you use the rankings and kayfaber, actually some of this does make sense. I was guilty of this, by the way. I'm not saying I was above this. I was like, what the hell's Dustin, Dustin Rhodes doing in there? Um, 
But anywho, that all that aside, this was quite of a, a, a tantalizing um, matchup because it's you got heel, uh, sorry, heel versus heel, face versus face, which I do find quite an interesting concept. So that means you get the respect spot at the start where you shake hands. Love that. Crowd are on their side um, for both of them. Obviously, they want Danielson to win, but they're not they're not booing Dustin Rhodes. And I think this is one of the most interesting elements of it was that Dustin Rhodes is enormous. He's um he's massive. He's like six six compared to Daniel uh Danielson's what is he five ten or something like that. So he's quite a quite a massive size difference. And it's a real credit to the way that these guys constructed a story in the ring that you know as the bigger man um Rhodes actually kind of became the underdog you know he was the one kind of getting picked on a bit by Danielson who's really laying into him with these strikes and these kicks and that kind of thing um so I thought that was a a lovely piece of storytelling they really built up the symphony uh symphony sympathy for Rhodes during the match um on a separate note, I just, can we just take a second to appreciate Dustin Rhodes in this part of his career? The man has been at it a long time, has had so many issues, has had so many different characters that haven't necessarily been great. And yet here he is in his 50s, looking in better shape than he ever is, moving so fluidly and just having these some really great matches and giving guys the rub where necessary, um, yeah, this is I. I am so glad that they've managed to fold him into it. I think he is just such a such a bedrock of the company, and probably isn't necessarily as appreciated as he should be. But also by design, he doesn't he doesn't hog the spotlight that much. He just does what he needs to do um, to move things along and to have good matches and to you know advance storyline progression for other people. Not everything he's done has been awesome. But uh, generally speaking, I really, really appreciate, um, considering I remember some of the stuff like the Goldust was doing and, of course, um, Black Rain and TNA um, really, really sort of love, love Dustin Rhodes and, and, and this part of his career. So, yeah, anyway, um, as I say, there's, there's, they build up a bit of sympathy for him. Really, Gamachi starts to get frustrated and starts to sort of use his size a bit more, but... Brian's able to kick him around a bit and then gets him um, in a submission maneuver and he he blacks out at the end. And uh, Jim Ross actually pointed out that this was the this was the, the a different a different submission maneuver again that he's used in all of his matches. He's used my goodness, listen to my words here. Sorry guys, um, he's used a different uh, finisher for every single one of his matches so far which is such a wonderful piece of storytelling in itself isn't it um you just it means that there's so many opportunities for the match to end you don't know what's coming you don't know how he's going to end it um yeah really cool I, this this era of brian danielson is wonderful I saw someone say online today um sorry for not being able to credit it i, I should start doing this as well actually crediting people what they say they're like I love that he's just coming in and having four or five star sort of bangers uh, against a whole bunch of different people and just sort of crafting out the path that he wants. He looks like he's having fun and he absolutely looks like he's having fun. So it's really cool to know he's on to the next round. We get an MJF segment coming up involving MJF and Sting. Um, Sting comes out for an interview segment. MJF erupts at the crowd. Again, is nuclear on him. 
fantastic. One of the problems they had with MJF, I feel like at the start, was the fact that he was so, um, there was a meta element to it, you know, where he was so good at being a heel that people appreciated it and cheered him. And they struggled to really hate and boo him, whereas now he's actually gotten good enough at being a bad guy that he still has actual heel heat and not go away heat, but is getting absolutely booed every time, um, like like to the point we can barely hear him. It's very cool. I I haven't seen a heel with that kind of reaction for a very long time. Has some absolute barn burner one-liners in this. Um, refers to the snow coming down over Sting as his leftover stash from the 80s. I just... Does he get permission from these guys before he says this stuff? He must do, surely. Uh, refers to Florida as being a place that solves its problems with gun violence and incest. Magnificent. And then makes the really brutal crack. And this is one where I'm like, he, uh, he must have got permission for this, surely, because I feel like Sting would actually hit him for this, uh, where he says he's going to leave Darby Allen. Uh, what was it Sting? I can't even remember which one, but he says he's going to leave them in a wheelchair like his friend Lex Luger, which is just savage. Um, yeah, really cool. Uh, they get sort of you know a bit of a bit of a beat down on Sting as well with Sean Spears and and Wardlow, which again comes back to a couple of weeks ago where I said the Pinnacle was supposed to get this push. Where's the Pinnacle? Blah 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 blah. And then a week later, the Pinnacle sort of shows up and now. They seem to be a big part of the story again. So, you know, you can thank me for that. Um, <laughs> but really, really cool to see, um, particularly like when they're backstage later because the the other one of the other long, long, long stories they're doing that I cannot wait to see the payoff for is this, of course, Wardlow getting sick of MJF's crap, basically. Um, and he, you know, finally calls him out on something. He's like, why did you push me into Sting last week? And... MJF backtracks, mate, cowers, says, sorry, it was flight or flight, you know, um, and then he gives, uh, he gives Wardlow an accountability buddy in the form of Sean Spears. I have no idea what that is going to entail, but that should be interesting. I'm assuming that means we're going to see Spears and Wardlow together more, how that manifests. I don't know, but they've been planting those seeds for a very long time and, Every time you think he's going to turn, he doesn't. This leads us into our second match of the night, which is Ruby Soho uh, taking on Penelope Ford. And so this is a, this serves a couple of purposes. This is a continuation of the story that they've been telling for a few weeks now. And I like that they've continued that story. In the past, When you know, particularly sort of last week, I sort of felt almost like this was a bit of a story for story's sake. I was glad that they were telling a story, but I wasn't entirely sure where it was going. And then, of course, they announced the uh, bracket for the TBS title tournament, and suddenly it kind of made sense. It's like, oh, okay, it's actually going to, you know, come to an arrowhead at the first round of this tournament, which is really lovely. Um, so it means that we actually have a match that's not only a sort of closing the book on a, on a story that's been going on for a bit, um, but it gives extra meaning to to that first round rather than it being just a match for a match sake. And I have to say, this is something I think they've done really well with the TBS title tournament, more so than the men's actually. I think that there's, it, it almost seems like there's, 
like it's almost with the men's one they sort of had an idea of what they want for the final and we could like i'm only speculating off what i and other people think in terms of the final for the men's one we could totally be wrong on that and they could totally do something different but it, it seems like it's built around this one match at the end almost whereas the women's title seems to have a lot more thought going into the start which is really cool it's not just with, with tournaments you know you're quite often hamstrung by that element that there's no story that comes out of it or that that goes into it because you're almost sort of randomly pairing people up or you're trying to trying to get to that end result and it can be just matches for matches sake so this is something that I really appreciated with this I love that it's got this build-up of a few weeks and this ultimately is if it's not it's crescendo it should it should be and I'm, I'm confident it will be or if it's not it's crescendo at least there's some stakes that are higher than sort of normal um somewhere in there so this was a very good match uh it was i think it was better than the one that ruby and the bunny had last week much better in fact and that's a real testament to penelope ford because she is still um quite new to the ring but when she's got someone in there that can sort of i think with a bit more experience that can lead her like ruby can they she she's up for the she's up for the fight um some wonderful spots throughout this match um and i really appreciate that you know, ultimately Ruby got the win at the end. I think that that was absolutely the right decision. Um, and it's it's awesome that that means she's going to be moving on to the next round. And as I say, it closes hopefully the book. Uh, sorry, closes the, yeah, closes the book. It closes the chapter, I suppose, on that book. I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. It's It's a nice little ending to that story that they've been building on. And hopefully it means that they can now build on to the next element although they've also kept it slightly perhaps a better analogy was they put a bookmark in there because you know the bunny comes down for the attack as you'd kind of expect because it's it's an episode of dynamite um and then red velvet comes down for the save on ruby soho so you know even even if the um the tbs title doesn't necessarily indicate the end of that story they've left the, the you know the book um the bookmark there so they can go back to it and there's, you know, the, the 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 possibility of people teaming up, um, you know, having the, the tag sort of face off between the two and stuff like that. So very, very good stuff. Really, really liked it. Um, I love the way this tournament for the women is shaping up at the moment. Uh, big matches next week. I mean, now you have uh, Ruby Soho taking on Chris Statlander. And I don't want either of those two to lose because I love both of them. If you're going to point blank to me i'd say i'd rather chris statlander won actually um rather than ruby i think chris statlander's sort of had a she's been so impressive particularly since she came back from injury as well much like what i was talking about with anna jay she came back um and was an even more solid worker than she was before she had her injury i i would like to see her progress because i feel like as well she's sort of been a bit neglected after her women's title match against Britt. But I also understand that in terms of crowd favorites and in terms of interesting storytelling, it's probably better to go with Ruby Soho. So either way, next week, there's going to be a really good result and a really sad result. And it's much like, I mean, the the next match for this is Sheeta versus Deeb, which is just spectacular. Again, you, you had that storytelling coming into it, which seemed almost kind of isolated. And now they've, they've built it into this tournament that is wonderful stuff. That is absolutely awesome. And I, again, I don't want, I, I mean, 
obviously I want Sheeta to win because I want her to win the whole thing. I want her to win everything. She's my favorite. So that goes without saying. But in terms of me being more objective, I, yeah, I would want either of them to go through. Deeb is incredible and she would make a wonderful DBS champion. So um, yeah, big, big matches next week. After this, we get, oh man, this is cool. We get my new favorite wrestler, my new, um, my most improved, I suppose, Mr. Bobby Fish coming out against Anthony Green. This match was kind of announced out of nowhere. So um, probably should have seen it for what it was. And what it was was just awesome. Um, Bobby Fish just came and kicked the crap out of Anthony Green, basically. Um, just a, a brutal squash match. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, uh, what was it, about two minutes? What, what are you... What is there to say? He just, you know, kicked the crap out of him, basically. And it was great. I loved it. it, it there's no way... I, I didn't think you could endear me to Bobby Fish more than I already was. Um, and then you threw this match out there. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, he, he's just so cool. I love his facial hair. Reminds me of the um, the Vaud villains. And I know people don't necessarily like those guys. But, I, you know, I loved the, the twirled hipster moustache that Simon Gotch had. Um, and I like the fact that Bobby Fish has that with his beard as well. This has nothing to do with the wrestling. Uh, I just, this is just, every time I see him, there's always something I'm like, man, this guy's cool. Um, so, yeah, loved it. And then, of course, I love the fact that he just went vicious psycho on Anthony Green at the end. And he was leaving the ring, came back in, um, started beating on him again love it love it love it and CM Punk comes down for the save uh and because he's in his because he's got a cap on and you know his regular buffy clothes takes people a while to I didn't realize it was him um it was the announcers you know putting it you know putting it to us at home that that's who it was and it took a second for the crowd to actually realize oh crap that's CM Punk coming in for the save and they went mental when they realized it was him so that's that's cool. And apparently they're having a match next week. That was announced. No real build-up. But I couldn't be more excited for that. It's another CM Punk match against someone with another sort of different style again to what he's been doing. Um, another newbie to AEW. Not a youngster. Uh, someone with a lot more experience. A similar age to CM Punk. Um, but yeah, so... I don't know, two, two dudes that I, I really like um, with kind of different styles, both but both incredibly talented workers. I I don't know what if there's further plans for this or if this is just a one-off thing that I, I really don't know what to think other than I'm very happy for it. Is it good booking? Maybe not, actually. But you've got me excited. So once we come back from the commercials after after that, lovely beatdown um, we're going into our next uh, world championship tournament fight which is Eddie Kingston versus Lance Archer now I'll be honest with you guys um, I was a little bit distracted during this this match I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention I was actually getting my baby girl a bottle and um, talking to my wife and I sort of came back and they, there was an injury so I was sort of like oh okay this is kind of odd and you got Doc Sampson out there and I'm like Boy, they're really, really pushing this injury. Like, um, this is a bit, this is a bit strange. Like, it's it, what could Eddie Kingston have really done to Lance Archer? And that's not a disrespect to Eddie Kingston because I adore Eddie Kingston. It's just the the sheer fact of like Lance Archer's a beast. Like, them, he must have had to do something pretty crazy. And then they wheel him back in the ring, 
and he does this very soft roll up and gets the win and i was like oh wow they really really pushed the injury part of this that there was no fight left after this injury um man that's that's intense what did i you know what did i miss well yeah so i rewound and what what i missed was not a you know not a kayfabe not a work injury but a horrendous you know horrendous missed um what do you what do you call it not moonsault i suppose um Oh yeah, it just where Lance Archer and all six foot whatever, six foot eight or whatever and however many kilograms landed directly on his head. And it gave me a real shock. And I know seeing the reaction online it gave everyone else a shock. Um so that's you know, obviously we hope everyone is hoping that Lance is okay. He says that he's fine um on Twitter, says he's gonna you know he'll, he'll be fine he'll fight another day but who knows what kind of damage could be done you know we've seen people break necks in wrestling and still walk out of the ring and things like that obviously Kurt Angle wrestled his career with a broken neck so really hoping for Lance Archer's sake that it is just you know he got incredibly lucky and it's nothing too serious um was sort of impressed by you know, in hindsight now that, you know, I mean, obviously he's got a, he'll have to have a concussion, surely, um, that they did take it quite seriously um, and that he, you know, they sort of learned from that all-out 2020 incident. There was a lot of quite clear discussion going on and they didn't, I, I still don't know, I, I don't think they should have bothered with the, the pinfall. I don't understand what the point of making that call was. I think they could have just ended the match. Because, I mean, either way, whatever the result was meant to be, like if Lance was actually meant to go over in that match, well, they were going to have to change it on the fly, weren't they, anyway? And that's fine. They'll make it work. Um, they'll definitely make a, a Brian Danielson-Eddie Kingston match work. Um, so if, if it was meant to be Lance going over, then they could have just ended the match on, a like, the referee calling it off. Um like a technical knockout. But if it was supposed to be Eddie Kingston, they, they could have done the same thing. I'm not sure why they had to do the, the pinfall. I sort of think that was needlessly risky, frankly, um, considering it sort of, you know, was a head injury. I think they could have just the, called the match and it wouldn't have made any difference. The, the pinfall didn't add anything to it for my liking. Um but yeah, really scary stuff, and it sort of reminds you—not that you really need reminding—but you know, it does it does remind you of how dangerous what these guys do is, and especially a guy like Archer who prides, who's so big and so athletic, and prides himself on that athleticism. Um, what how fine those margins can be. Um, yeah, really, really scary stuff. So hopefully, hopefully Archer's going to be okay, and. Um, where, you know, he'll be back in the ring, but that's a very minor consideration. Hopefully he'll just be okay. Now, it's always awkward to try and move the show on from something that happens like this. Luckily, they got to obviously go to commercial, give everyone a time to sort of have a breather. I don't know if the show schedule changed or not for this or whether this was just kind of luck, but I think it worked out very well that following, you know, this horrible injury to Archer and sort of everyone sort of taking a collective gasp and um, everyone's heart racing a bit that they they had this promo from Moxley which is one of his backstage 
promos, and he is the master of these, the way he's set these up. They're very um, intense and very emotional, and they tell a wonderful story. And I don't think this one was necessarily any exception. There were a couple of points where I was like, wait, what? But um, generally, I think it was really lovely the way he talks about how now he's got this baby and shows his finger, which is absolutely gnarly from being broken in the past and he talks about that basically none of this wrestling stuff means anything to him it's it's when she grabs his finger and holds on that he you know this is what he lives for now so none of this means anything to him the demos the the ratings the titles none of it actually means anything to him and he kind of does like what he then says next you would think would kind of undermine his point because then he's like we like well then why are you going to be in this tournament why don't you just go home why don't you forfeit it but he sort of does quite a good job I think of crafting a narrative around like he says you know it'd be easier if I was a mailman but no I'm not this is what I do this is who I am and so really this is what I need to do to be able to you know get get home to her essentially which is you know it's a bit a little bit clunky but he yeah he makes it kind of analogous that it's like going into a a, a, a thing like into an into a fight in a dark room and one person's gonna come out um and so I kind of you know it's it it's it's a complex promo basically like I, I don't think he necessarily sticks the landing the way he, he does um I, as I say it, it's it's a little bit of a stretch to be like um I need to win this so I can come home to you when he has to go home in between each match but um he his delivery I suppose and his passion and his believability is enough that that's you have to be a real nitpicky dick like I am to sort of um have an issue with it I think because generally it's 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 very good um and he does a very good job of sort of making the thing that basically this is what will help me support my daughter the best I don't it's not for me it's for her so yeah it's it's really cool stuff and as I say it it brings the pacing of the show down for a nice breather and gives everyone a chance to sort of to 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 catch their breath again and because it would have been so awkward to have someone yeah just come out I'm just trying to think who who we're thinking like having a having a having an Adam Cole come out you know and everyone doing an Adam Cole baby after after Archer's you know possibly broken his neck would have been yeah, horrendous, basically. Horrendous for everyone. Following this, from this this Moxley promo, we moved to what I think is definitely the absolute low point of the show, um, aside from, obviously, uh, Archer's injury. I just mean in terms of um, planned content, in terms of um, storytelling. And this is uh, Sammy Guevara uh, having sort of a promo battle, I suppose, with um, Men of the Year, and it's... It's tough because, you know, they've got Sammy out there doing solo uh, microphone work, which is tough at the best of the times, but having to do solo microphone work and also having to do it with, you know, men of the year and American top team. I've made my opinions very clear on how I feel about this storyline and um, its continuation, and this didn't do much to improve it. Scorpio Sky looked even more ridiculous tonight than... He he has in the past, like I was looking at my baby girl and she was very giggly and very cute and in a lovely mood. Um, 
she's having so much fun. And I was like, you know what? She's a more convincing heel than he is, as far as I'm concerned. I was like, she looks more menacing while she's laughing and being cute than he does when he's looking like he's trying to be menacing. But never mind, we got more homophobia, which was pretty lame. Um, wish they would cut that attitude era crap because it's just it's just lame there's like again it's not necessarily offensive it's just stupid um what have i got down here i you can see how dismissive i am of this stuff because i just I, it's so oh, i wish it would end um because yeah that's right we get the stipulations yeah so the, as if this isn't kind of dumb enough um yeah we, we get these stipulations where it's so sammy if he so, okay, so they want to have a five-on-five five match at full gear, uh, okay? Um, I wish they wouldn't. Maybe if you could do that on the buy-in, but never mind. They want to have a five-on-five five match at full gear, but now they, they want Sammy. If Sammy beats Ethan Page next week for the TNT title, he gets to pick the people on the American top team and men of the year team. Okay. Which is interesting because they've only had a few people. So I, I, unless he's like going to pick the receptionist or one of the administrators or one of the janitors or, you know, one of the marketing people or something, someone that has nothing to do with fighting. I don't really see how much of an advantage this is going to be. Um, so if he beats, they get, they're going to have a five on five tag. If Sammy Guevara, Beats Ethan Page, and Ethan Page gets to pick the no, sorry, Sammy gets to pick the people. But if Ethan Page wins, he gets the title, and Sammy Guevara has to leave the inner circle. So I don't know, is that complicated enough for you? Um, it's certainly more than complicated enough for me. Um, yeah, it's this sucked, frankly. I mean, to be let's look at the positive. Um, Sammy Guevara was much better on the mic than he has been by himself. I still, I don't know if it was necessary for Dan Lambert to make reference to it in the form of a gay joke that he hasn't been very good on the microphone. I, I don't understand what that's meant to achieve. You're both burying a guy. Well, not burying him, but you're definitely, exp, you're definitely highlighting a weakness, which is sort of the antithesis of wrestling 101. And you're doing it with um, the kind of shtick that, belongs back in 1999 so that sucks I, I really don't like that but I, I I thought it was I thought he was definitely better I thought he was he's made great strides still struggling to see him as a baby face um, I think he would just be so much better on the mic if he didn't have to try and be happy um, it got even more awkward they you know they did a beat down which is cool um not really, but in, in a circle, the guys that aren't on Jericho's cruise anyway, which is everyone except Jericho, come out and make the save. Um, and then they kind of do this strange thing just to... This is this is the one really bad part of the show, I suppose, because then they're going to go to commercial. So Sammy Guevara, they've just, he's just been there. They've had this brawl, and then they seem to have gone to the back. But then Sammy Guevara's music hits, and he comes back out with cue cards to do the picture-in-picture picture shtick with the cue cards, which they then try and sell like he, in that 10 to 15 seconds, because the cue cards make reference to what's just happened. He's now, 
he's written those cards because he's holding the pen in that time. It's just an absolute basket case of, of a segment. It's just really bad. It's just really, uh, it's not good for Sammy Guevara as far as I'm concerned. It's like he could be doing a lot better than this. Um, he could really be being elevated by a veteran or someone who knows what they're doing rather than some MMA guys and Scorpio Sky trying to be a heel. Anyhow, yeah, this yeah, this sucked. There's no other way to describe it. I really I really want this to end. Full gear surely has to be the end of it. Surely that's gotta be the end of it. Um so yeah. Anyhow, moving on. And moving on we will, because we're at the main event for the night. And you talk about controversy i suppose or things that are stories that are divisive um the cody Rhodes saga continues uh there's a third match between cody and malachi black which went down like a cup of cold sick online i've been pretty open about how much i've been enjoying the cody Rhodes stuff recently over the past few weeks it's been some of my favorite stuff i've really loved the Cody storyline. I think it's been very interesting. So I was never opposed to this third match. I thought it was fine. Um, and so we'll unpack some of that stuff in a bit. Let's get to the match first. The match is really great, I think. Um, Black is just a beast. At first I was sort of like, man, they haven't left much time for it. But it was surprising how much they were able to pack into that but also how much they were able to sort of slow the match down as well you know both of them bladed um not the most convincing blade jobs i've ever seen from either of them because neither of them hit their head very the camera was quite clear and showing them that neither of them really hit their heads the first black blades after taking a um crossroads through the table on the outside which is one of those maneuvers where cody essentially eats so much more of it than he does but somehow he came up from that bleeding and then he throws Cody into the corner and Cody doesn't even get near to banging his head on it, but they both blade and that's pretty cool because um, you know what, this this is supposed to be a, a really intense blow off match and yeah, let's get the blood out. So really, really some really cool physical stuff. Um, the, some beautiful ending sequences. I think I like, we'll just, just skip straight to the end because those are the best sequences. There's the, um, essentially black gets the run of all his finishing maneuvers and into a german suplex a nasty german suplex that cody really takes takes a heavy fall on um and cody kicks out and then of course that leads him to doing he 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 does a couple well basically he takes the kick from actually i should go back a bit he takes the kick from black and falls into the ropes and so Black actually has to rouse him to get him to the pinfall, which I thought was really clever. It's a good way of protecting that finish, you know, so that basically it undermines it, basically. It's so effective that it turns him into dead weight in the wrong place. And so to actually be able to try and win the match, he has to undo the effects of it. Very clever. Um, I liked that a lot. And then, so Cody then has to run through his finishing maneuvers, gets him up into the pedigree after the crossroads. Everyone's excited. And of course, turns it into a pile driver. I think everyone was like, oh my God, he's doing the heel turn. This is happening. And he doesn't. Um, and he gets the win uh, eventually. You know, he's gone through a table. He's hit him with like three finishing maneuvers and manages to squeak out a win. So he gets the third 
win out of the three-match series. He's still lost the series 2-1, but he's managed to close the book. This leads to... Um, well, let's 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 unpack the storyline around this because I don't think we need much match analysis. If you've seen it, you've seen it, whatever. What is interesting, of course, is all, all the story around it. Now, um, he comes out in the full Homelander garb, which is, you know, again, not doing much to appeal to this crowd. Unlike the crowd in Miami when he made the run out last night in Rampage, this crowd wants no part of Cody Rhodes. They are booing the crap out of him. He's with Arn, so he's reunited. Arn's testing and... Um, bullying and berating him that he's been doing over the past few weeks has worked. They're back together. Um, he's got the. He's funnily enough. He's he's so heelish, and this is what Tranquilo Club talks about in his thing. Even when he's a face, he's still acting as the heel, and that's that's the interesting element. One of the many interesting elements is he has his guys come down to help him. He has Brock, and he has Lee Johnson, and he has Arn Anderson on his side. So Alistair Black is the plucky heel <laughs> which is very funny against you know the plucky heel um against the cowardly face which is very very interesting um and so of course there's, there's a couple of different a couple of different things that, that cause so much issue people think that this is cody burying black which i i've said to people online i'm i i'm not sure how winning a three-match series 2-1 and uh, having to go through multiple finishes and the opponent having, you know, two or three people out, out on the outside of the ring and having to go through a table is a burial now. I think I think everyone's got to cut it with the smarky terms, eh? Like this, you know, they've watched, they've listened to too many, I don't know, shoot interviews or something and WWE has just conditioned them to just see losses as burials. It's absurd. Um because I don't, I don't think it is. Now, the, the, the more structured complaint that I think has a bit more validity is that Cody didn't need this and it's kind of damaged Black's mystique. And I can buy that one a little bit except for the fact Cody, like, well, that, like it doesn't advance any story and Cody didn't need it. I think Cody definitely needed it. I think it advances a wonderful Cody story. If anything, it, that's not the issue. I do kind of agree with the fact it's kind of damaged Black's mystique a little bit perhaps and he didn't get as much out of the story as Cody did but Cody's story was definitely advanced Cody's whole narrative around this this um basically face who's a heel who is going to eventually I suppose go back on his word around the t um going for the the world title and stuff like that 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 was all advanced amazingly during this this whole thing even as a like this that's the long story arc even the smaller story arc of him being distracted and not focused and having this this horrible dark force come through and beat the crap out of him and everyone around him and him having to get in touch with his nasty side his heel side to beat that that's an interesting story in and of itself and again, Cody hasn't won a match since something like July or something like that. So the, the burial stuff, I have no interest in. Um, I, the, the idea that this doesn't advance any story for Cody, I have nothing, no interest in. The only thing I can sort of agree with slightly is perhaps it damages the mystique of Black a little bit, but he is ultimately a heel. He is going to lose. And they have already obviously set him up by the looks of things in some story because this is what they have a bit of a continuation from the night before where Andrade comes out to sort of interrupt the match. 
but Pack then comes out and they have a brawl, and so that distraction doesn't necessarily work. But there's obviously something happening with Black and Andrade that they're alluding to that's going to continue, and that's that's sort of another wider point about AEW that I want to sort of make, and that we come back to a lot of times. And I still fall into the trap of forgetting. I've done it so many times since I've started this podcast. Is that just because you don't see the story immediately doesn't mean that they haven't started either sowing the seeds or that they're gonna start sowing the seeds. Like I think normally when you you talk about that the, the mystique is damaged, yeah, it might be if they have no follow up plans for this character. But I have enough trust in them based of their track record that they do have follow-up plans for him and that there is something that's going to continue on and he's not going to get left in the shuffle and that it's not a case of nothing's going to happen with him now. Now, it could be wrong on that. I'm not saying it's it's bulletproof, but I just I personally have enough faith and that might not be a good enough argument for you. That might be just almost like, well, that's like cultist and living uh in a fantasy and I can't, I can't argue with that because yeah you, you might be right but I think there was enough good stuff out of this in terms of the storyline development long term for Cody the storyline development short term um enough for Black to get out of it to be seen as the stronger of them again he won the most matches he was probably the best in this match he had to go through multiple people at a table multiple finishing maneuvers to, to lose, I, they couldn't have made him look any stronger in defeat, and it looks like they're setting him up for something else in the long term. Again, if you if you I'm going to put the link into the show notes again. If you haven't watched the Tranquilo Club video where he talks about this character development of Cody, I cannot recommend it enough because I, I think he's onto something. I think he's got a very good eye for these details and a lot of really good analysis around it. And I think it seems pretty clear that that is the route they're going, where eventually. Um, Cody is is going to basically turn on the fans because of the booing and that kind of thing. That the, the, the Homelander stuff isn't just for the sake of it. They might not be acknowledging it just yet, but of course it's it's going to play into stuff um, later on. Anyway, I, I loved it. I thought this was really cool. I thought it was a fantastic match. I'm perfectly okay with Cody winning it, I think, Black looked like a million dollars in victory and I'm super duper curious to see what the hell is going on with him and Andrade and Pac and how that works into Death Triangle stuff while Pac is also, you know, doing other stuff with Andrade and uh, sorry, you, you know what I'm trying to say, like Pac's got lots going on and how that all folds into stuff and if, you know, maybe down the line we could you know, get a pack Andrade Malachi Black triple threat or something along those lines. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot going on here, but I thought this was really good. The crowd, as I say, just wanted no part of Cody. That added to the drama, if anything. It was really interesting the way the commentators weren't really acknowledging it. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I think this is setting up some pretty cool stuff in the future that we just don't necessarily see it and if i'm wrong on it you have my full permission to just berate me on twitter every day twitter on twitter every day um for the rest of my life but hey let's give it a year and see where we are and that was that was dynamite really 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 strong show um just that one segment involving our friends in american top team and damn lambert um that i thought was crap um but basically it's almost not me worth it reviewing those ones um, 
week to week because I'm basically going to say the same thing. The last week was probably the most positive I was on it and I was still pretty ambivalent on things to be fair, but hopefully in a few more weeks we'll get to see the conclusion of it. Oh, actually, I did miss a couple of segments. Oh, and this is something I really, I can't believe I didn't note this down. I was just thinking about it before and I really wanted to talk about this because I really want your guys' feedback around this. I'd love to sort of hear what people think. This is, this is something that I'm a little bit nervous about is there hasn't been a lot on these shows the past couple of weeks relating to the main event of Full Gear, which is a payoff to a two-year storyline. And it's it's been practically missing. We, I mean, obviously, we had Hangman come back and win the ladder match, did a very quick interview on um, the first ad break of Roads to the Top. So in New Zealand, we didn't get to see that. I only saw that when I um, found some files of Roads to the Top online. Um, and then they he had his promo last week, which was really cool. But aside from that, we, we had these very brief things in this show. We haven't really had any face-to-face encounters. What we had was... Um, Kenny do a lovely little promo surrounded by the Bucks and Adam Cole to camera where he talks about how if the crowds knew Adam like he did, they wouldn't be chanting cowboy shh, they'd be chanting coward shh, um, which I thought was a lovely line. And they acknowledge it's a lovely line by undercutting it a bit to um, to Adam Cole saying, hey man, thanks for that line, that was really good. And he's like, oh, don't be, you know, don't be silly. And they're like, oh, Adam wrote that and having a bit of fun with it which I think is very true to character, sort of very good at showing how even in the most serious moment, these guys are distracted and a bit cocky and such pieces of crap that they can't even, they think so little of Adam Page, I suppose, or at least want to give that impression while they might actually be a little bit scared. Um, Yeah, so I thought that was, I thought that was very cool. Um, And then we had a, a bit of a weird segment with Adam and the, the uh the dark order where he shows up and he sort of says hey guys nice to see you and they're like, hey adam and he says you know sorry about everything you were right blah 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 you're fighting these guys next week if i know them it's halloween they'll have a costume do you guys have a costume and then they turned it into silly buggers sex jokes and adam page backs out of the frame so i don't really know what to make of that um but i'm so curious to know people's thoughts because i'm a little bit disappointed i suppose in the build-up to this but i have like this there's part of me as well that i have a lot of trust in aws what i just mentioned before is that i think that there's the built up enough good faith in me as a viewer that i trust that um they know what they're doing and they're going to pull something pretty special out soon and i think that's been demonstrated even recently in a couple of podcast where i've been like oh i wish this would happen or i'm really annoyed they're not doing this and then the next week that happens so i say they haven't done much next week there might be a whole bunch of really cool stuff you know who knows but i suppose if i was going to put my most optimistic lens on i would sort of say that yeah they, they will do something soon so i've just got to be a bit more patient or i suppose that this has been such a long-term story that you don't necessarily need to try and build up a whole lot in the last few weeks that they trust that the story will i suppose breathe itself you don't i suppose i i think in terms of wwe conditioning is is the pay-per-views moving three or four week cycles and in that time you have to quite often build up a whole feud and and culminate it and it's not a great way of storytelling and so i suppose part of me is still 
expecting in these leading few weeks that there should be that should be a significant focus of the show and it hasn't been um so that's my that's my charitable interpretation is that it's going to be okay um because they're going to start paying attention to it soon probably or b they're trusting us as viewers that it doesn't actually need that much finessing because they've done so much work on it i don't know if either of those things are right um I don't know. It's just something I sort of noticed today and was thinking about. I was like, boy, we are getting close to full gear. And there hasn't been much around this match, which is going to be one of their biggest of all time. It's one we're all looking forward to. And I think they could really, they could, we're a captive audience. They could really ring us for all we're worth at the moment. Um, Love to know what you think. I'd love to know if you agree that they haven't done much or if I'm just delusional and I haven't seen it or if you're really worried that they haven't done much um, or if you think they're going to do stuff, um, yeah, just your thoughts. I'd love to love to know what you think and hopefully you can make me feel a little bit less nervous. Anyhow, that's the show for this week. Don't know what's going on next week. There's been a couple of matches announced, but um, it's early days yet. I'm recording this on the Sunday night, um, a little bit earlier than I do normally. So... Um, if there is some big news coming out, I'll be talking about it on Twitter, no doubt. So that's Twitter is A-E Aotearoa. And email, if you want to get in touch with me, is allelitenz at gmail.com. But anyway, I'm Bevan. Thank you so much for listening again. And I look forward to seeing you online and talking to you again next week. Hi,